This has been the part of our podcast where we briefly reminisce about Martin Lawrence films that we probably haven't actually seen. Next week, Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> So this morning I watched Blade, uh, and then this afternoon I watched Blade 2. So I am totally caught up. Good. That would be amazing if you had just yeah, seen they, Blade they... and came in to talk about Blade 2. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping that was where that was going. I was like, dude, we're going to talk about Blade 2 today. No, that, that would have I... been great, because then we could have seen how much of Blade 2 he could have extrapolated from Blade. There's a good amount All of it. All of it. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a fair I, possibly I not realized something Super extremely vampires? disturbing. No. Uh, the last time I saw Blade was in the theater, which was in 1998, mm. when I was 14, which was 15 years ago. More than half my lifetime uh, oh my has intervened. <laughs> has, oh that my is God. distressing. I was thinking I was like ago. 16 when it came out, but I remembered that my friend's mom had dropped us off at the theater and then I went and checked the, the year and it was definitely 1998 when it I was, was 14 uh, and he and I were the only two in the theater at this rated R movie at a midnight showing. <laughs> it was very strange. Man. I think I may have told that story before but mm. still but, but now you've certainly told it again. <laughs> For posterity. Indeed. Okay, so uh, Blade yeah, 2 opens with, uh, is... the best well, part of the movie well, which is well, the cat. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that so backing up for a moment <laughs> let's start this, this is show. cinema excelsior let's start let's get, yeah. oh god Meow. okay your bell. this is cinema excelsior our Meow. film for today is blade 2 uh this is our first sequel and I would like to begin by going around the digital table and introducing our panel today. Uh, I am Stefan Claypool, and I'm going to be playing the part of Willie Mays Hayes today. Uh, to our digital left is Nick Bester, who will be playing the part of Simon Phoenix. Okay. And to his digital left, Daniel Watson-Jones, who is playing the part of Flipper Purify. Can... At some point, can we play characters who were in the movie that we <laughs> that we watched? Because well, you always name characters that I have never heard of. So the these characters are was. these characters are all characters that have been played by Wesley Snipes, oh, Willie okay. Mays Hayes from Major League, okay. Simon sure. Phoenix from Demolition Man, Flipper Purify Dude, uh, you are Jungle Fever, Willie Mays Hayes. Oh, okay. I've seen Demolition <laughs> Man. I've not seen the others. But either one of you, if you would like, you could trade your Wesley Snipes uh, character to take on the role of Noxima Jackson, which is the drag queen he played in Tuwang Fu. Thanks everything, Julie Newmar. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, and absolutely I will trade mine in for that. Are you kidding me? I fucking love that movie. You both messed <laughs> it up. St Nick, you just said Newly Jumar. <laughs> What? Oh god. What, is that not her name? Stefan, you left out the four. And, you and said I, thanks everything. <laughs> yeah, and I also called Wesley Snipes Willie Mays Hayes. Oh yeah. You did. Right. This is my favorite Willie Mays Hayes movie. <laughs> I will absolutely okay, take I've not that, seen role. that either. <laughs> and I would also have accepted the role of of Reinhardt's hair. Which we will have <laughs> to talk about later. <laughs> oh, we will. We will. 
Uh, the film today, Blade 2, starring Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, Ron Perlman, uh, Leonor Valera, Norman Reedus, Thomas Kretschmann, Luke Goss, and Donnie Yen. Yes, Donnie Yen. Directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, as is our custom, we're going to begin with a summary of the film, a little bit of production trivia, and then launch into our discussion. Uh, feel free to chime in, gentlemen, as I run down this summary, in case I'm missing any crucial details, okay? All right. So, Blade Two, Prologue. We begin at a seedy blood bank. A sickly-looking man is led into a chamber to give a donation, only to discover that, surprise, the place is run by vampires. The tables have turned. <laughs> But the man's not afraid. In fact, he's laughing, and he proceeds to gruesomely slaughter the staff. The tables have turned again! He hates vampires. Act 1. It's been two years since the end of the first film, and Blade, you know, Daywalker, all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses, has spent that time tracking down his old mentor, Whistler, who was seemingly killed by Deacon Frost, but has, in fact, been transformed off-screen into a vampire and is now being held hostage and moved around the world for some reason. Blade finally catches up with him, and after slaughtering all but one of Whistler's captors, rescues Whistler and takes him back to his base. Blade and his new tech guy, Scud, played by Norman Reedus, put Whistler through a painful detox and cure his vampirism, presumably through the same method that Karen... Remember Karen? Yes. Used yes, during the first film. When the sun rises, <laughs> Whistler's his old crusty self. And just in time, too, because they've got company, two ninja vampires break into Blade's hideout. And after a lengthy fight, they tell Blade that they're not there to fight. They are Assad and Nissa. Uh, Assad, of course, played by the guy who played the cat in Red Dwarf. <laughs> And they're offering Blade a truce on behalf of vampire overlord Eli Damaskinos, a Nosferatu-looking creature who is apparently the boss of the vampire board of directors that we saw in the first film. Damaskinos and his lawyer, Carl Coonan, informed Blade that the of the attack on the blood bank, which we learn was carried out by Jared Nomek the carrier of a new strain of vampirism called the Reaper virus. Reapers are basically mindless monsters that feed on humans and vampires alike, meaning no one's happy to have them around. Damaskinos asks, asks Blade, he's going to ask him a question, to lead the Blood Pack, a team of vampire commandos that was put together to hunt him in hunting Nomak and stamping out the Reapers before their numbers swell. The Blood Pack, a crack team of stuntmen and character actors, are led by Reinhardt, a racist vampire hunter who runs afoul of Blade and ends up with a bomb planted in the back of his head. Oops, Blade assumes command of the team. Act 2. Blade and the Blood Pack head to the House of Pain, a vampire nightclub that, by an astonishing coincidence, <laughs> is located directly on top of the Reaper's home base. The Reaper's attack, with Nomak himself going after Nyssa, but not killing her. More on that later. One of the red shirts, <laughs> I mean beloved Blood Pack member Priest, who is played by that guy who played Van Gogh on that episode of Doctor Who you Fuck, liked, it was him! Is, is bitten and killed. Yeah. While another, this one called Lighthammer, is a plausible God name, damn it. is bitten but hides his wound. Good idea, that's going to end well. Also, they discover that Reapers are immune to silver, broken bones, and everything except sunlight. Nomak escapes, but one Reaper is left behind to starve slowly to death. 
Nyssa dissects it, while Scud and Whistler set to work building powerful ultraviolet bombs. Having prepared themselves for battle, the team heads into the sewers to try to destroy the Reapers. But when Lighthammer turns into a Reaper himself... Surprise! <laughs> uh, everything goes to hell, and it becomes a bug hunt, man. A bug hunt. Eventually, all members of the team are killed, except Blade, Nyssa, Reinhardt, Whistler, and Scud, who stayed out of the sewers, but they do manage to wipe out, wipe out the Reapers, with the exception of Nomak, who tells Whistler a secret in the dark. All seems well when, surprise, Kunin appears with a squad of vampire commandos who taser Blade into unconsciousness. Act 3! Well, it's revelation time. First up, that horrible old vampire monster that looked like an iconic horror movie villain? He's the villain! Also, he genetically engineered the Reaper virus in a failed attempt to purge vampires of their weaknesses. Also, he infected Nomak with the virus deliberately. Also, Nomak is his son, which makes Nomak Nissa's brother. Also, Scud was working undercover the whole time and is actually on Demoskinos' side. Also, the bomb in Reinhardt's head was a dud and Reinhardt gives it to Scud. Also, Blade <laughs> knew that Scud was a traitor the whole time. Also, the bomb was not a dud, and Scud gets blown up real good. Also, Damaskinos now plans to use Blade's blood spliced with Reaper DNA to create a race of daywalkers. I think at this point the, the tables have stopped turning and can just be called a lazy Sousa. Yes. So, now that we've got that out of the way. Blade has a significant amount of blood drained from him, but with Whistler's help, makes it to a bloodbath, which heals him and allows him to kill Reinhardt. Meanwhile, Nomak has broken into Damaskinos' base and is getting all patricidal on his ass. Uh, Nomak kills Damaskinos, bites Nyssa, infects her with the Reaper virus before Blade appears, and the two have a big CGI-heavy fistfight. Blade prevails when he slides a broken sword behind Nomak's ribcage. Nyssa tells Blade that she wants to die a vampire and asks to see the sunrise. Blade carries her outside and they watch the sun come up together as she turns to ash in his arms. Epilogue. Remember that vampire that Blade let go for no reason in Act 1? Blade drags him down and kills him at a London peep show. The end. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got, I think you got it all. Yes. Yeah. I can't think of anything. I, I think you hit all the high points. Um, Cu couple quick pieces of trivia before the discussion. Um, so the original plan for the film was to actually introduce Tomb of Dracula characters, Hannibal King and Frank Drake, and also for it to be a time travel story where Blade goes to the future. Okay. Uh, the original villain was intended to be Morbius, the living vampire oh. from Marvel Comics. Uh, but Marvel wanted to retain the rights to make a standalone film with the character. <laughs> which they still haven't done. I'm sure they will. Yeah, eventually. Um, $55 million budget, $155 million gross. Uh, Stephen Norrington, who directed the first film, turned down the chance to direct this one. He wanted to do something else. I don't know if he... No, he, the only film he's directed since that I know of is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, good. So, good call, Norrington. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Donnie Yen choreographed the film's fight scenes. Yes, and it shows. And over 30, or over 30 members of the cast and crew were temporarily blinded by misuse of ultraviolet lights during the course of the film. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Now, how temporarily blinded are we talking about? Like... I just saw temporarily... Because, I mean, is that just, like, having a light shine in your eyes and, like, for five minutes you can't see? Or was this, like, they were out on their asses for, like, two days blind? I, I imagine that it, it's like the lights went off 
people are blinded and then they all just kind of sit down and said well we're not shooting a frame of film until we can see again fair enough i I mean i would i would imagine that it was probably a lot of individual uh instances where you know they're shining their guns around or something and they they cross someone's field of vision yeah it could be but uh probably Uh, not ron perlman though he he had his sunglasses on the entire time he was probably fine he wears his sunglasses at night so he can so he can also people wear their sunglasses (laughs) in cavernous sewers in this film yes Um, and i guess it really wouldn't have happened that frequently since they never actually use that weapon the entire time that they're shooting the the vampires or the reapers sorry and they're aware that the the bullets do not work they they use uh so they use the bombs yeah and ron perlman uses the light at the end of his gun once yeah but that's after like several people everyone has one of those uh weapons don't they yeah. or a lot of people have yeah. them and they're they're fighting them and saying the bullets don't work the bullets don't work and then continuing to shoot not trying the light until that, that after the end of that awful bus sequence when norman reedus finally gets it going because <laughs> big surprise the bus wouldn't start <laughs> okay this film oh, really groundwork, loves its groundwork laid. this film loves its cliches yeah it does <laughs> groundwork laid um who would like to give their initial impressions of this film <laughs> i really liked the most deaf and massive at- attack uh song that was used a little bit in the film and over the credits speaking of songs i really liked uh the crystal method song used during the final fight because it dates it so much <laughs> Like, that is mm-hmm. the most late 90s, early 2000s song you could possibly choose for your climactic action sequence. <laughs> Listen, all you motherfuckers! <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Now, now that, that said, um, um, to, 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 to begin, did you like this film? I would like to like it, but no. Okay. But no. Okay. Dooge? Uh, I liked it more than I rem- This was the second time I had seen it. The first time was in 2002, 11 years ago. So I liked it a lot more than I remembered. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, which is to say, I liked it more than I did the first time. Uh, I I think that I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I would not say that it is a good film. No. No, I, I, think, I think it has a lot of the things that we said about Blade last time. I mean, we... I don't think any of us said it was a great film, but I think a lot of us said it was a cool film. And this is at the really this is a film that's definitely trying to be cool. I th- I think it may be trying so hard that it fails in that, but it's definitely trying to do that. Uh, this is actually the third time I've seen it. I saw it shortly after it came out on video, uh, and then like a year or two ago, I watched the first two Blade movies again. Uh, and the first time I saw it, I was like, eh, it's okay. The second time I watched it, I was like, eh, it's okay. This time I was like, eh, it's okay. So it's been kind of steady, sort of... It's not awful, but it's not quite doing it for me. So I actually... uh, I'm not going to say it's a good film, although I think it's a... There are parts of it that are better than we're giving it credit for. But I really enjoy this movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's Um, cheesy and dated in very good ways, I think. And... Kind of what I said earlier, it has it has a lot of character actors that I really like who are doing some things that were very, very clearly underwritten mm-hmm. in the script. 
And so, like, I, I really doubt in the script, for instance, uh, it said, Reinhardt has the most ridiculous haircut humanly possible. <laughs> but he fucking does. I didn't think it was humanly possible does. to have a stupider haircut than Mr. T, but he's found it. <laughs> what, he's found a stupider what, what haircut. Because Mr. T... Why don't it, you describe it? Describe right. the haircut. Let me describe the haircut. So, it's as though... It's like mutton chops on the back of his head. That's the best way to describe it. Like mutton chops where like the uh like normal mutton chops you have the sideburns that connect into the mustache. But this mm-hmm. one the the they go like up over the ears and connect at the very very back of his head. As though they're those kind of headphones that you wear back there, but the entire rest <laughs> of his head is bald. And this is actually something that would... Mr. T's hair does also, but he also has that mohawk going forward. And somehow taking out the mohawk makes this a much dumber haircut. I would have described it as like, you know, Hulk Hogan has his mustache mm-hmm. and like his beard. It would have been like if someone just took that and turned it around his head. Yes. So he's he has a handlebar mustache over his ears. Yes. I I had not even noticed that he had hair on the back of his head. Oh, my God. Um, That's because it's hidden under his sunglasses. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it just follows the line of his sunglasses. I'm looking at the mm. photos of it now, and I guess I had just always assumed that that was a shadow. <laughs> no, no, it's very, very no, it's dumb hair. hair. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and imagine the, the imagine the work that it would take to maintain that haircut. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, yeah. like... One of the benefits of the shaved, Especially the shaved head. If you don't show up in mirrors. Yes, yes. Oh my God, you're right. So one of the other of the blood pack had to do that for him. You're right. I hadn't even considered maybe, how much maybe. harder it is. Because actually, now that you mention it, if you don't, I would imagine that the the shaved haircut would actually be the best haircut for a uh, for mm-hmm. a vampire because oh, yeah, it's incredibly easy. easy to do, and you don't have to see yourself to do it. But he's yeah. chosen the hardest way to possibly shave your head because he has to maintain a half inch of stubble at the back of his neck, the nape of his neck. Well, my, my my theory is that all of the blood pack members cut each other's hair, and because none of them can ever see themselves in mirrors, they don't realize how bad it looks because every member of that team has a terrible haircut. And they're all laughing at each yes. other. Now, yeah. Not not to get too pedantic, but I I don't remember. Do blade? Oh no, do no, blade, please don't. Do blade vampires follow that rule? I can't remember if that's an established part. It's of, never mentioned of blade uh, vampire lore. I don't think you ever see them in reflection. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's ever brought up in a way either. Yeah, I I don't think that. Well, uh, this it, movie it, be- it is never pointed out. This movie begins with uh, Blade saying, "Forget what you know." Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. See, it, it begins forget what you know, but then follows almost every established rule of vampire lore <laughs> and yeah. action movies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The blood pack. The blood pack. There's a lot to talk about in just their general aesthetic. Well, can, can we but okay. before we dive like because there's a lot to talk about with the blood pack in general sure. the actors their aesthetic their name their role in the film everything that involves Preacher. them light hammer um, reinhardt <laughs> snowman that introduction sequence was awesome yes. though i was i was just laughing at how bad it was but oh it's it so incredibly stupid. it was very comic booky oh yeah Let, let's let's begin with uh the build up to the blood pack let's begin with whistler Chris Christopherson, back! We need to first talk about the fact that you lied to me! 
You are a liar, you son of a bitch. I asked you if Whistler was in the second movie because I had seen this movie like a year before we talked about Blade last time. I was like, I thought I remember Chris Christopher, Chris Christopherson being in this movie. And I asked you, and you outright lied to me. And that was a lie that I discovered within like three minutes of the movie starting. It's not like it was a big spoiler (laughs) surprise that Chris Christopherson was in this movie. Well, see, let me tell you why why I lied to you about that. Um, <laughs> so that we can have this really moment it, now? Because I hate you and yes. don't want you to be happy. No, it's it's because I forgot a little bit of the timeline of okay. this movie, to be honest. So my rationale was he's asking this. He doesn't remember. This is something he should remember as it's a hugely significant part of the film. That is so not if, I, yet. <laughs> if, if I tell him that Chris Christopherson is not in it, then when he sees it, he will be pleasantly surprised because he loves Chris Christopherson. Now, the, my error was, in my head, Chris Christopherson shows up about half an hour into the film. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and it is played minutes. as a big moment. It's not. Not three minutes into well, the no, film. I, the thing is that I, I was pretty sure I remembered him being in this movie but the way that it's left in Blade One, there isn't really seem there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for him to be in the movie. No, like no, it seems no, no. pretty clear that he is dead at the end of Blade One, and then mm-hmm. somehow he's I, being left in like vats of blood to be a vampire somehow. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, I'd like to comment on that actually sure. because this movie does a lot of things that are pet peeves of mine in films, okay. but that one I think it actually handles pretty well. I hate when mm-hmm. a character is killed between films. Like between yeah. Aliens and Alien Three, ah, yes. uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I felt that this was one instance where they explained it in a way that was acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. You, you never saw his body at the end of the the first one. He does just shoot himself off screen, and sure, he can become a vampire afterwards. Why not? Like that that's believable to me. Forget but everything you know. They don't mention what Stefan. What was the female character's name in Blade One? Karen. Yeah, they don't mention her at all, which really no idea what happened to her. <laughs> Yeah, we remember here, Karen. Here, here, this movie does not remember yeah. Karen. Yeah, here's here's my th- my theory on that, and and this goes to not um, the actress was busy. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it not nothing to do with events in the world of the film. But one of the things that I do like about the movie that I want to talk about as as we go through it is, I think the movie has a very strong structure. Okay, that works in and of itself, and works well in relation to the first film. Okay. The only reason that Karen is in the first film is to bring you into Blade's world. She's your point of view character. She's your identification yes. character. So you are going okay. into Blade's world through her eyes. Uh-huh. In and this then... film, you're going into the vampire's world through Blade's eyes. Yeah. And there are several points in the film Mm-hmm. where Blade does the same thing that yeah, Karen does that. in the first film. Yeah, I noticed Specifically that, particularly when, with the when he, blood. Yeah, with the blood. Yeah. Um, when he lets Nyssa <laughs> drink his blood to heal. Thank you for I, clarifying that, because so, I, I realized afterwards that with the blood is probably yeah. the vaguest thing you could be saying <laughs> yeah, was, to describe something I happening so in this film. I am so glad you described that, because I was like, what are we talking about? What blood? blood? <laughs> There's a lot of blood in this movie. <laughs> but, but Blade... Because we're going into the vampire's world, Blade fulfills that role. And so there isn't a, from a structural perspective, there isn't a need to have Karen in the film. Now, they could have mentioned why she's not in the film. Yeah, yeah. Whistler could be uh, like, hey, who the fuck's Scud over here and where's Karen? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, because uh, yeah. yeah, it just. I mean, and and even like a cryptic like Karen's not with us anymore. Kind of. She's not around yeah, anymore. Like maybe she's dead. Maybe she just. Uh, maybe she's a vampire now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't have to actually address it. Just address not addressing it. Yeah. 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 That. Um... This could be the story of Blade uh, learning to love again. It could be, and well, <laughs> wait for Blade in, Trinity. In, oh God! In some in some ways, it I think it is. Yes, yeah. and I think we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But Wh- Whistler is back. He's back, baby. Um, yes, famed and, and then we star have Chris Christopherson. And then and then he's paired One together with teen, with teen heartthrob Norman Reedus. <laughs> yes, uh, I. I what do you guys make of Norman Reedus in this film? I, I actually really don't, don't think describing him as teen heartthrob is actually that. I think that might actually be a tenable way to describe him, just because of how popular uh, Boondock Saints is, like with and Daryl on Walking Dead. and Daryl with I The mean, Walking yeah. Dead. I imagine there's probably. I mean, he's he's a weird looking guy, so maybe he's not like oh so dreamy. But there's probably a fair number of teens that have posters of Norman Reedus in one of those two roles on their walls. I mean. Let's be clear. He's like film weird looking. Yeah. He's he's a perfectly normal looking human yeah. being. No, true. He, he's he's TV ugly. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Which is to say, he he's got sort of narrow eyes and a thin mouth, and his nose is slightly misshapen. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. He's not he's not perfectly symmetrical, which in television and film reads as oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I I liked his character in this, mm-hmm. except for the the betrayal uh mm-hmm. because there was no evidence or explanation for it at all i there wasn't i never had the sense that you know yeah there's nothing it made any sense at all like when did it happen was it before he initially uh was like i think the idea is that he, he was, was attacked always... by vampires and blade saved him and then he turned on blade i think the idea is that he was he was always a setup he was always a setup oh okay that he was um, he was what's his face nosferatu's familiar and that they mm-hmm. staged a uh an attack okay. on him so blade In would say woods him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they somehow orchestrated okay. this yeah i mean i don't think there's yeah. really i mean obviously he's distrustful of whistler which Kind of makes sense with them, so it doesn't really necessarily read as suspicious. But other yeah. than that, yeah, and they they play that up yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, but I don't think any of that uh, reads as we shouldn't trust Scud for not trusting Whistler. It's more like, well, Whistler uh-huh. used to be a vampire. Maybe we should be mistrustful of him. Uh, okay, then that, I had misunderstood it. I thought that he had become his familiar after that, but it's it's, it's, it's not really weird, explained though, clearly sure. that way. Other way. Yeah, I, I think particularly oh, a sort of villainous, like, I, I, I betrayed you, motherfucker, speech seems kind of uh, a little overplayed. I, I think that it wouldn't shock me if, as written, um, like, they got two-thirds of the way through writing the film, and then it was decided, oh, we can shift this around. Because a lot of the explanation for him, like, betraying it is like, you can see where they drew the threads to explain it, but it very much seems like they were drawing those threads backwards from the revelation yeah. than they were building to the revelation. Yeah, yeah. I and I think the thing that they were banking on, which is strange because of you know they do play like Whistler used to be a vampire. It is entirely legitimate not to trust him at this point. <laughs> It seems like the film is banking, even as it plays that maybe we don't trust Whistler, it is banking on us putting all of our faith in Chris Christopherson, as we all should. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it would it would have been a legitimately shocking surprise if Whistler had been the betrayer. If I mean, even knowing that he had literally oh, yeah. literally been a vampire like seventy two hours before this movie started, I still it yeah. still would have read as much more of a surprise that way. Um, well, mm-hmm. I'm I'm also con- this brings up another question about the vampire rules because in forget like, what you know, dude. Forget <laughs> what you know. <laughs> With a zombie, you know, it, once you you're bitten by a zombie and you die and you become a zombie, then mm-hmm. y- your all of your volition is gone. You are just a monster. But yeah. with a vampire, you know, in in dep- different vampire canons, uh, sometimes you still have the same interests. You know, you still want to protect the same people. You, you still have the same cares. Uh, you're just now you thirst for blood. Uh, yeah. it, is it clear in this one whether you know the the interest is like? A self-interest or whether you know like i hate vampires even when i am a vampire uh my uh, interpretation okay, I'm just babbling that, now. <laughs> my, my interpretation of that is first of all vampires in this world are not dead they yeah. are essentially virally infected yes. yeah um the only real example that we have of that possibly being a thing would have been Blade's mother in mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Now, what we don't see in that film is we don't know who she was before she got bitten. Mm-hmm. And it's been like 30 years <laughs> since she's been a vampire. So who knows what that process looked like for her. Yeah. The impression that I get watching the films is that it's... um. You know, they they have volition, they have will of their own. It's there is just this raw physical need that the thirst yeah. that they talk about yeah. that drives them to action. Which also it bugs me when the description of Blade as having all of the strengths and none of the weaknesses, because I would consider the need, the thirst for blood, to be a very strong weakness. Yes. Except that one weakness, <laughs> that one one. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, and the and the other obvious uh, unusual thing about Blade's conception of vampires, uh, which was a bigger deal in the first movie, is the idea of sort of pure blood vampires that people can be born a vampire. Yeah, well, that really only comes up the one time in this movie where uh, during that first showdown with the Reapers, uh, they're in the uh, club, and is it Preacher? It's one of the Blood Pack. It's very very disdainful of everybody in this club. It essentially says. No one here is even yeah. a pure blood. We should just kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It it comes up a couple more times, just like saying, "I was born a vampire." I still don't know what yeah. that means. But obviously, I it's mean, not as big that... a deal as it was with uh, Stephen Dorff, proud sponsor of Blue Cigarettes. Uh... <laughs> I I, th- I think that that's going back to the structural thing, though. I mean, the the first film took place in Blade's world. And the way he related to vampires. Mm. And the second film takes place in Blades the vampire's world. Blades World. Blades World. Blades World. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's something else I wanted to bring up. Oh, going back to uh, Scud's betrayal. Watching the movie. Yeah. And I realize this is obviously done strictly for the sake of sort of having a cool one-liner action set piece. Which is obviously pretty much the... Uh, the motivating factor for exactly. just about everything that happens in this movie. But watching that, I was like, "You clear- he clearly blew up the wrong person. Be- yeah! Because oh, yeah, exactly. the way the bomb 100%. worked was yeah. he had to push the detonator <laughs> twice for it to go off. Yeah. Right. 
So he could have just quickly pressed it twice and blown up uh, Reinhardt, who clearly was much harder to take out because they have sort of a, a big fight, whereas Scud yeah. would be very easy to murder. I'm going to take this one step further even. They took fucking everything away from Blade. They took his sunglasses away in addition to his yeah. sword and all his weapons, but they left the detonator with him? Well, that works if, uh, I mean, it. you know... If everyone they believe that the bomb is not real, yeah. so they're trying to set up his disappointment. Uh, yeah, and still. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody there seems to be in on the fact that the bomb is a dud. I mean, certainly Reinhardt, yeah, I mean, the... Reinhardt knows and Scud knows. But that's, that is like one of many things in this film that are done explicitly just to poke Blade, including, oh, yeah. why is Whistler alive? Why are they moving him from city to city? All they're doing is giving Blade an excuse to hunt them. That's it. Whistler That's is the alive only thing doing. so that he can be in this movie. That's exactly Do you right. want a movie without Chris Christopherson, Stefan? Is that what you're telling me? Because that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. I don't want any movie without Chris Christopherson. That doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Moving forward a little, um, be before we get to the next thing, I do just want to stress one more time. Assad, the black vampire, is the cat from Red Dwarf. I've never and seen I Red Dwarf. And the reason I realized that was because his fangs look kind of like the cat's teeth. And it made me extremely happy. I've never seen Red Dwarf. The cat, so I... the cat is a cat who, over the course of millions of years, evolved into James Brown. Awesome. Now, do you mean yes. into character that fits a stereotype based on james brown yes okay you you didn't mean that it takes place millions of years before now and james brown actually is a cat person was a cat person may he rest in peace uh, out the fire it all comes with full circle Cassidy! back to the cat people always with the cat people uh um so, so yes all right past that um this is if we are moving forward through the film now we can talk about. Oh uh, God. We can talk there's, about not. Yeah. There's another thing in the. It, it happens twice near the beginning of the film. Uh, once in the, the very opening when uh, Blade is infiltrating the place where Whistler is being kept, uh, mm -hmm. and then again when uh, I can't remember the name of the the basic uh, Reaper, but the Reaper sneaks up on one of the vampires. Nomak. Yeah. Nomak. Uh, they. It drives me nuts in a film when they treat the viewer's field of vision, the, the actual physical frame of the film, as mm -hmm. the character's field of vision. Yeah. So that anything that is that we cannot see, they cannot see either. And when Blade is coming into that place, he's running along above them, and they turn around, and he's directly above them, and they're looking around, and there's this big space above them that they're not looking into, and then he's there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the Reaper sneaks up on the vampire from directly below the frame, in front of them, like a foot in front of them on the floor. Uh, and Maybe vampires can only see, like, their <laughs> eyes can't move up or down, they can only see mm -hmm. directly ahead of them. Yeah, they're like they're owls. Like dogs. They have to move exactly. their whole neck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like dogs. Dogs, dogs can't, can't look, look up. up. <laughs> <laughs> big John says so. What is that from? Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dogs can't look up. Awesome. Uh, so so we, we meet our villain, uh, Overlord Damaskinos. He is a Nosferatu. 
Why? <laughs> like a Dracula. <laughs> there are all these Draculas everywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, the film is full of Draculas, and then we drop this Nosferatu in. Yeah. And I'm not sure why he is a Nosferatu. Because he's very, very old. He's following the master I mean, laws of vampires, that very, very old vampires no, become Nosferatu. He, he, he looked like that before he became a vampire. <laughs> no, he's clearly a pure-blood so vampire. He, he, was he was born, born a vampire. A vampire. You don't become overlord of all vampires as some mutt. He's not Stephen Dorff, proud sponsor of blue cigarettes, give us money. Blood. <laughs> so do do all vampire pure blood vampires eventually age into that? Is he just kind of a mutant? The only reason I can figure why he looks like that is because they wanted to telegraph to us very early that he was the villain of the film. Well, they wanted him to not only does he look like uh Nosferatu, he also looks a whole fuck a lot like the Emperor. Let's be honest. He's oh, very yeah. Palpatine. You take Palpatine yep. out of his black robes and put him in some white robes without the hood. He's fucking that guy. Mm-hmm. Which is why it was so shocking. Fucking as an intensifier, not as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for clarifying that. Yes. Uh, oh my god! Imagine I mean, the Palpatine, whatever that guy's character's name is, slash. Mm. Let's not. Let's not let's imagine, imagine that. It. Let's move on from that immediately. Hey, everyone's made out of blood sparks. So when you kill a vampire, they explode into blood sparks. There is. Um, I wasn't here so for if, Blade One, so. If Nosferatu, if Nosferatu guy is the overlord of all vampires, I'm just trying to figure out the corporate structure here because the first film very clearly <laughs> of had a board of directors. Stephen. Had a very clearly had a board of directors. Yes. And so, was that a vampire board of directors, like a board of director shareholders? Or was that a vampire executive committee, and this guy's the vampire CEO? Does this guy report to the committee, and he has since moved into that Different nations. Different vampire nations. Okay. Uh, one of them is, is built like a corporation, and this is more like a monarchy. Okay. okay. Well, it could also be, like, maybe he's the king of the vampires, and they're the vampire parliament, and they had some sort of vampire Magna Carta at some point. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. He's when, the executive when vampire prince to John was forced to sign. Ah, the vampire, the vampire Magna, Magna Carta. <laughs> it's written on skin and blood. It's on display at the Vampire State Building here in New York. <laughs> in the National Archives. <laughs> okay. I don't think the so, Magna Carta is in New York, Stefan. No, but the Vampire State Building is. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Fair I like that. Very good. Very I, I good. stole that. I stole that from Futurama. Vampire State Building. Nice. Uh, how does how does uh, Wesley Snipes afford? I mean, how does Blade afford all of this silver? Oh, it's because he didn't pay Wesley taxes. Snipes don't That's pay it. Taxes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes. This is the taxes he was owed. Bird. This is the taxes he owed the government. A timely Wesley Snipes um, tax evasion bird. I would not call that timely. <laughs> uh, Blade steals watches. That's true. Because this does ain't the March of Dimes. So that he can he can buy uh, garlic extract. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about the March of Dimes. Uh, what the March of Dimes? Uh, in, in the first, in the first movie, he uh, makes a uh, it makes a crack about how the about the March of Dimes. Oh, I didn't remember that. We talked about it last time. Okay, I must have missed that one. You did. You did. I mean, I must have missed the the joke in the film. Yeah. Uh, mm. In addition to missing that podcast, so there are ninja vampires in this movie, and also xenomorph vampires. And it's, uh, I do think it's time to talk about the blood pack. Uh, yeah. Yes, like full. So the the blood pack is made up of Ron Perlman, Tony Curran, who was Van Gogh in the Doctor Who episode, and was also the Invisible Man in the Terrible League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. How would you know that, uh, Stefan? You can he just was say invisible. the League of Extraordinary I've, Gentlemen movie. Oh, it's true. Um. Um. 
what's his name? Uh, the cat from Red Dwarf. Uh, Donnie Yen. Three, yeah, three stunt people that I've never seen in anything before, and Donnie Yen. Yes, who's awesome. Also, who is, who is who definitely falls criminally who definitely falls into that category of you were talking about criminally underused. Yeah, Crim- I, does he have a ex- line? Okay, so I'm he, not even sure he does. He has no lines. The extent of his action is he jump kicks a guy and stabs a guy, and he is killed off camera. But he is he gets to double kick a guy without That's putting right. his foot down. Yes. He, he he plants his foot. He double kicks. That's awesome. Yeah, I had for, yeah honestly until you had mentioned it, I had forgotten that Donnie Yen was one of the members of the Blood Pack because it's incredibly easy to forget that because he's barely yeah. in the Blood Pack. Which it, is it was criminal. Yes. Very busy choreographing. Oh yeah, no, I fights. understand why. He's clearly just there as kind of a cameo. Um, yeah. yeah. So one thing I uh, when we were talking about Blade last time, I talked a little bit about the aesthetics and how I feel like it's kind of of this uh, matrixy aesthetic that you see in some movies from the '90s. And I feel like the Blood yeah. Pack is that pre Matrix. Yeah, pre Matrix. But this is obviously post Matrix. I feel like the Blood Pack is that yeah. aesthetic taken oh, yeah. to right. its most absurd. Which is, uh, that's the Del Toro way. Yeah, because, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they're, like, these very leather-clad people with very stupid nicknames and very stupid hair in this, like, dark, dank, post-apocalyptic uh, industrial wasteland kind of aesthetic. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to try to remember these. So it's Assad, Nissa, Nissa. Mm-hmm. Chupa, God damn it. Priest. Yes. Preacher. Wasn't it Preacher? Was it Priest? I thought it was Priest. I I want to say priest, but I don't know. Could be either. Reinhardt, Lighthammer, Snowman, and the redheaded woman whose name I can't Yeah, I don't know. Because she doesn't do anything. She does nothing other than, like, massage Lighthammer while he's doing the most stereotypical zombie bite victim thing in the world in that he is hiding his bite. Which is dumb. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't be Sean's mom. Um, This is good. And you could you could tell when they Chupa. when they introduced that team. Um, God, you could tell immediately Verlaine. that Ryan, sorry, Verlaine, Verlaine, uh, that Reinhardt is the real bad guy because not only is he played by Ron Perlman, he's also a racist, despite the fact that he, like, okay, so, so I di- I didn't get this. So there is a black vampire on the team. There is. Yeah. Assad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I I I kind of think of him as being separate from the Blood Pack, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then is the does the rest of the team hate Blade because he's black? Because the first thing they say to him is you're black. Can you blush? I don't. Oh, well, they don't. I, they just ask if he can blush. I don't think that was a it's black be, thing. I think that was a you're not a vampire. He's a, yeah, he's a human. So he has blood running through him. Vampires can't blush because they don't have a pulse. No, I think it's because he's black, and they were like, it's like I mean, they're clearly an incredibly racist thing. They're to clearly say. vampire racist because priest or preacher or whatever his name is advocates murdering all of the half blood vampires. But no, I don't. I think you might be overreading into that. I don't. I don't think that's a I, black thing. I don't think he I just asks, either. "Can you blush?" He doesn't say anything about the the color of his skin. Yeah. So so you so your 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 interpretation is He's that a it is it is an incredibly opaque reference to vampire blood circulation instead of an incredibly obvious reference to skin color? I would say that it's both. That I mean he's he, I assume that uh 
in our world, it's it's a joke for the audience as him being racist, but from their perspective, he's talking about Blade being a human. I think that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a question that th- sends up red flags. Letting, we all go, okay, that's clearly not a cool thing to ask. You're yeah. letting your love for Ron Perlman prevent <laughs> you from seeing him in a negative light. No, I'm not saying that that it's it's not uh, a reference to racism. Uh, I'm saying, but that I, yeah, I don't. That the the main the reason that he's asking it has nothing to do with skin color racism. It has to do with vampire human racism. Yeah, speciesism. He hates. Speciesism. He hates. Sure. He hates uh, Wesley Snipes for about the same kind of sort of weird biological reasons that a racist might hate a black person, but he doesn't hate him for the same reasons. I don't know. They, I wouldn't they say no. Also, he really. Hate him for this- Okay, go on. Sorry, go on. Apart from giving him a Colonel Clink accent, they also do everything they can to emphasize the fact that his name is Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. They call him Fritz. He is repeatedly referenced as a Nazi. <laughs> like he's the Nazi vampire. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. all right. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe there's more of a racial element to it than we were reading into it. I don't know. I, I, I still think that it is primarily about the fact that he is. The Daywalker. Not a vampire. The Daywalker. Do that again. The Daywalker. Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad we entirely derailed that conversation with the Daywalker. The Daywalker. So, uh... Lawyer jokes. We got them. (laughs) We got got lawyer jokes, and we have the House of Pain. Jump around. Jump around. Exactly. (laughs) Jump up, jump up, and get down. A song that Um, I will always associate primarily with Mrs. Doubtfire. Hmm. Yeah. I associate, actually, my strongest association with Ever, is with Everlast's later career, but. My my uh, strongest association with Mrs. (laughs) Doubtfire is, ah, ah, ah. Fair enough. I'm not, okay. I'm not saying that, that that is the first thing I think of when I think of Mrs. Doubtfire, but the first thing I think of when I hear Jump Around is Mrs. Doubtfire, because that's where I know the song from. How often do you, how often do you think of Mrs. Doubtfire? Whenever I hear the uh, song Jump Around, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Pack it up, pack it, was a, it, it in, was a, let them begin. It was one of the I few, come to win battle me, it's a sin. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was one of the few movies I owned on tape uh, back in the day, so it's probably something Why I Why would saw. you need to own it? It was on Fox literally every night. <laughs> I liked, Literally I, every night. I really liked Robin Williams as a kid, so I watched Mrs. Doubtfire a lot when I was growing up. So yeah, I'd probably think about it mm-hmm. no, I mean, pretty frequently. I think it's a good movie. <laughs> I think When I think of Pierce Brosnan, I think of that movie before I think of James Bond. Let me just put it that way. Wow, okay, alright. This, all right. this has been Nick Defends Mrs. Doubtfire. I think it's a good movie. Now, Hook. I don't think anyone Hook is does not hold it. up. I watched Hook again recently, and Hook is not a very good movie. But I, fucking love. Uh, I thought that was actually better than I had expected it to be. Mm. Um, can can I just say, Norman Reedus, uh, Scud, <laughs> doesn't trust uh, Whistler because he he was a vampire. He went cold, what does he say? He cold went cold death. turkey in one night. Yes. Like, no one goes cold turkey, like, no one gets over it and go, goes cold turkey in one night. But that's the only way that you can go cold turkey. That's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Scud's never gone cold turkey before. Well, given the fact that he smokes about 20 joints over the course of the movie, it's clear that he is not going cold turkey on anything. That's yeah. true. Uh, yes. Mm. 
Well, I mean, obviously, in hindsight, so, it seems like the reason he doesn't trust him is that he is in a position to perhaps notice that Scud is in the process of betraying Blade. That, yeah, I mean, I'm know. sure it was trying to sow discord rather than just a distrust. But, uh, in or, retrospect, or, that makes or sense. Or rather, it was entirely reasonable and motivated by character, and then the arbitrary plot twist causes us to Fair look enough. at those actions. There is nothing arbitrary about any decision made in this movie. It all holds together perfectly. He had that detonator yeah, on of... him for very good, solid reasons. Speaking of which, we're in the House of Pain. House of Pain. Uh, I, I, hold on, before we go on, I just... I, I, the cold turkey thing. <laughs> you are. <laughs> this is really he's, bugging you, man. You know, he's, the, the, another dimension to this that that had been bothering me earlier. I've just figured out a way to phrase. Okay. Uh, it's not just that that's the definition of cold turkey, and it can't mean anything else. He either is a vampire or is not. If they have cured him, that it seems to be that Norman Reedus is complaining about that that he is no longer a vampire, but he should still be addicted to blood somehow. Like that was the best thing about being a vampire. <laughs> And that that's yeah, going to be the hard thing to give up. Can, can he still just be a little bit of vampire? Yeah, like he's <laughs> That'd a be more he's plausible. like a social vampire. Like he doesn't he doesn't drink blood anymore. But sometimes he'll go he out just, to a bar and somebody will have a friends, pack of blood yeah. and he'll bum some blood. You know, <laughs> he he, drink, he drinks blood socially. <laughs> he doesn't Dark have a blood, blood drinking problem. It's a social <laughs> lubricant. His problem is that he's out of blood to drink. Yeah. Uh, he came here to drink blood uh, and kick ass, and he's all out of blood. Uh, before we get uh, to the, uh, before we get to the uh, the house of pain, and I know we're apparently never going to get there because we keep having sidetracked. I just want to talk yeah. about. There's one moment uh, we were talking about, sort of weird, non-narratively motivated moments in the movie, and one of the what and there are a there's few. a few, and one of my favorites is at the very, very beginning of the movie. Where Blade is attacking some of the guys who have, uh, who are holding Whistler hostage, and he kills them all on this cool motorcycle fight. And then he very slowly, like, rides up on his motorcycle to the side of a car and looks into a side view mirror and blows a kiss at himself. For no fucking reason. I didn't reason. even see that. I did not even notice he, that. It, I was, must have blinked. Yeah. No, it's, it's like a 30-second long shot. He has to, like, slowly get his uh, thing in position, and he looks at himself in, like, a tiny little rearview mirror on, like, a vintage car, and he's like, yeah, I'm badass. Well, he is. He is badass. Yeah, I mean, it's that, true. That, 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 to, that, to me, just kind of... That's... If you look at a lot of what Blade does over the course of all of the films, it is like he is very conscious of the fact that he is a badass and that he looks cool and is very proud of that. And the moment that sticks out to me in the first film was when he pulls out his like little bo- like razor blade boomerang for the first time mm-hmm. and throws it and it comes back to him. And when he gets it, he smiles very, very big like, yeah, that was cool. The, yes. the climax of uh, the first one when he kicks the the injector into the completely <laughs> into, unnecessary. Yeah. Yes. No, this is true. He's definitely. Yeah. I kind of. I almost wish that they played it up a bit more. Like he's mm-hmm. kind of an asshole. I, like I, I always really. I'm I love characters who are like giddy about how badass they are. I think that would be. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that as a character trait. Like not just like yeah I'm cool. Like fuck yeah that was awesome. Can we consider for a moment that maybe. We're thinking about this from the perspective of the character instead of from the actor. And what if Wesley Snipes wouldn't do the scene without blowing a kiss at himself? 
Who's contractually obligated? He's got it in his contract. He can blow kisses whenever he wants. I mean, literally, no. I can't imagine any other actor in history playing Blade. Like, no. (laughs) Except Billy D. Williams. You were were talking about last time the other possibilities were uh, Denzel Denzel Washington Washington and Lawrence Fishburne Fishburne were the other Hmm. two that could have possibly. I could. The Snipes was always the first choice. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. Definitely, I cannot see either of them playing Blade the way that Wesley Snipes does. I could see Lawrence Fishburne doing a version of Blade. It would be a very different character. I, I would imagine maybe a bit more serious, a bit more somber. I cannot imagine Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Blade, particularly for this very particular kind of like sort of sh- showy, cocky, badass Blade that they're doing here, Wesley Snipes is perfectly cast for this. He is Blade. I can imagine a Martin Lawrence blade. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you one better. Kevin Hart. (laughs) Kevin Hart would be a really good blade. (laughs) Completely different blade film, but very good. Exactly. Martin Lawrence is blade. (laughs) Whenever someone mentions Martin Lawrence, I can only see in my head the poster for Black Knight. (laughs) All right, fair enough. I was thinking, okay. um, what was the one where he was the diamond thief who had hidden some diamonds? Blue, is that Blue Streak? Blue Streak, no. that sounds right. Yeah, that was the is one it? I was thinking okay. of. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um. This, has been, this, this is part of our Martin Lawrence film. <laughs> this has been the part of our podcast where we briefly reminisce about Martin Lawrence, Lawrence films that we probably haven't actually seen. <laughs> Next week, Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> Awesome. Um, um, so, the House I, of Pain. Can we go to the House of Pain? Let's finally yet? get there. Uh, no, r- right before that. <laughs> um, I was I was on edge about this film. I I didn't think that it was going to be a cool movie. I was I was still remembering it very badly uh, until the the moment when Ron Perlman turned his head, and that was when, when I actually wrote down on the the notepad. Okay, maybe this movie's pretty cool. Ron Perlman and all. <laughs> oh, just the fact all that right. he showed up. Yes, that's it. Okay. Just bring Ron Perlman in. All right, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. But you didn't somehow didn't notice his hair. It's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was just blinded by the majesty of Perlman. Yeah. Uh, so, The House of Pain. Obviously, yeah. this is a vampire rave. Like, they're putting razors in each other's mouths. Like it, in the it's first reminiscent film. of, of uh, uh, acid tabs, like the way that they're like dosing each other. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And... And it, it's it looks to and me doing like, weird back surgeries. Yeah, there's a lot of weird shit happening. It's a vampire drug orgy, but still, yes. no one bats an eye at this crew of people with automatic weapons who comes in. Yes, <laughs> they're just walking around invisible to the crowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah I that's mean, true. Lighthammer is wearing armor, as we see later, that has to actually be ratcheted into place because what's her name, the redhead, has a little. Uh, a little wrench that she had to and put that into place. That's how how armored that fucker is. <laughs> and also carrying a giant spiked hammer. Yes, his well, perhaps titular that, hammer. I think not the inconspicuous. hammer is, does not have a spike on it. The spike oh, emerges so the spike later. Oh, this is true. That's true. That's fair it's enough. just a giant sledgehammer at, at a yeah. guy just Yeah, that's hammer. just finish yeah. gear. It's where it's when the spike pops out that you go. You know what? There's something up about that giant hammer. <laughs> And it's it is in the house of pain with this weird stuff going on that we get our uh, we get a real look at 
the Reaper design and the Reaper mm-hmm. abilities in their full origin. What do you guys think of sort of the way that the Reapers were realized in the film? That particular I, thing. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, it reminded me a little of... Uh, the. I think the effects in this movie are one of the like unimpeachable aspects of it. Oh yeah, it's got very good effects. Everything some in this of the, looks Some great. of the CGI is a little weird, but all the practical stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the final I fight I think is a little is a little awkward because of the CGI, but yeah, like the uh they're opening their mouths and they have the weird mm-hmm. oh, I love the mandible, the, the, the yeah. mandible thing it, that they have going on there is very, very cool. Uh and okay. later when they have when they take that uh the Reaper apart and like look inside it, I think that's a really cool oh, yeah. that was some great. great great stuff happening there. Um, I mean, honestly, given given the fact that other than uh, the main guy, and one of these days maybe I'll bother to actually learn the name of characters in the movies that we're watching, uh, <laughs> the the main Reaper, uh, Lomac, uh, Nomac, 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 excuse me. Uh, I mean, he seems to be the only one who actually you know is not just like a mindless vampire zombie the way that everyone else is. Yeah. Uh, and I think. It might it might play a little bit better if they were a bit less mindless. It would seem like more of an actual threat to like both vampire and humankind, whereas this like unkillable thing of mindless zombies that will be killed by sunlight seems like not the hardest thing in the world to deal with. Yeah, I mean it's it's very much sort of like a it, they're less characters than they are sort of a, a force of nature type of yeah. thing. Like it's. They sweep in in waves and all that. And the design is really cool, and I think that they do a good job of getting across why dealing with them is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And there's some cool stuff in the club. Like the, the thing that stuck out to me in the club scene, uh, which is one of like the two things Donnie Yen does in the movie, <laughs> is when he stabs the Reaper with the sword, and the Reaper gets itself out of the sword by disemboweling itself and then crawling up the wall like a spider. Yeah, that's cool. But that's the only time that, that the Reapers seem to have that power, isn't it? I mean, that's the only time. I that mean, they, but, is he clinging to the wall or is he defying gravity? I, I couldn't I tell. I think he's clinging, he's clinging to the wall. And, like, we okay. see them clinging to walls at other yeah. points. In the film, All right. Like when Whistler has the night vision stuff on. But, I th- okay. I, like, stuff like that, I thought, yeah. that was, like, a little, ooh, that, yeah. that was cool. Well, also, yeah. uh, while we were talking about the, the the rave and a bit more the rave before it breaks out uh, into chaos like it does, I think I think the, the way that they've designed this rave here seems a bit more... It's a bit more exotic. It's a bit more sort of, oh, vampires are very foreign to us, much more than you see in Blade 1, where you have, mm-hmm. like, that first rave is just, like, it's a bunch of people hanging out in a part in a party hidden in the back of a meatpacking plant. Uh, and it seems very, very standard until blood starts spraying out and there happens to be one guy there. And then you have, and then you have the weird, like, uh, naked schoolgirl karaoke thing happening. Whereas this is like a bizarre bacchanalia of like strange S and M torture going this on. This is set. This is somewhere in Europe, right? Uh, yeah. It seems I, I get I get the feeling I, I get the feeling it's like Prague. That's kind of the sense I got, particularly in that like yeah, first blood yeah. bank. Uh, it seemed like at least how I imagine Prague being set in films. I have no idea if Prague is anything like that. We're- Whereas the first film is, what, what did we establish the first film was like New Orleans? Yeah, somehow it's well, New it's... Orleans in a way that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, um, but like I... that that speaks to, to to what you're just saying about kind of that that different yeah. 
very different, sort of recognizable versus. Yeah, now that you mention uh, it, I'd actually yeah. forgotten that the whole movie was set in Europe. I was, I kind of thought that they went back to America and the rest of it. But yeah, no, I guess it, I guess they tracked out Wait. Whistler to Europe and the rest of it takes place there. No, I, I, the first film is clearly set in like New, in New York, isn't it? <laughs> If you believe the skyline, it's set in a major metropolitan area. Yeah, this is something we discussed last time we were talking about. Evidently, in the movie, there is a brief moment where they show a map showing that it's supposed to be New Orleans, which doesn't make any sense because nothing about that movie reads as New Orleans. This is something we talked about last time. Yeah, because as I was watching it, uh, I... My one of my first thoughts was ah mid nineties New York City where the 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 city's largest population is uh, papers swirling in an alley yeah because it looked exactly like the uh, yeah. the Ninja Turtles film oh the it first absolutely Ninja Turtles it film. reads like that or possibly L A I feel like there's some uh, versions yeah. of L A that it could be in no way yeah. I always thought it was L A yeah L A or New York uh, seem like really the only possibilities there but evidently. But- some very minor details in the movie are supposed to indicate that it's uh, New Orleans, and nothing about the movie uh, actually seems to support that. But Okay. Um, I would like to comment that uh, I've been to Prague, and it doesn't really look like that, but it is full of vampires. Okay. Fair okay, enough. Good. You didn't give any blood, right? Uh, I mean, no more than I could handle. Yeah. I didn't... It... Did you bring any jars jar. in? <laughs> I wouldn't say that I gave blood so much as I spilled a bunch of my blood into an alley. Okay, okay fair good. enough. Yeah, that seems like that seems like that a kind of blood bank that accepts blood by the jar. That should have been <laughs> shut down I, right the fuck away. I, I I started laughing my ass off like a minute into the film where the, the creepy guys on the bench, this place is great. They even take blood by the jar. <laughs> and then he produces a mason jar full of blood. Yeah, it's like, oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, it saves that whole only being able to donate like every six weeks or something rule. Because you don't yeah. have to donate just your own blood. Well, I assume, nope. I assume that as it is a secret uh, front for vampires, that people are going in there and not coming out. Well, As, I don't know why you would get that impression when they take that guy into the locked room, or when you look into the room the that, where they're mopping down the fingers. where they're mopping <laughs> down the room just covered in blood. The killing floor. The killing yeah. floor. Yeah. That dude with the jar of blood just just was nice and brought them an extra jar of blood along with all of his blood that they will now eat because they're <laughs> vampires. <laughs> Well, see, here's here's what I'm thinking now. So, but that guy has clearly, if if he knows the rules of this place, he's clearly been there before. So he has gone there at least once without having been killed. I think that this is buzz marketing happening. This guy is an employee of this blood bank, and he, he could be a familiar. Yeah, blood. he goes out, he gets a couple yeah, he, jars of blood, he spreads word among the, like the homeless of Prague or whatever vague Eastern yeah. European city this is supposed to be, and they yeah, no, it makes exactly. sense. It's like guys, guys, I know the best place. And you see, it works. It works much better because I. I actually happened uh, on Friday night. I saw the uh, the second Twilight movie. It was being riffed by a group here called Master Pancake that had uh, Mary Jo Pell was one of the people uh, doing it. It was awesome. Uh, and at the very end of that movie, the vampire like leading council 
kills like an entire tour group of like 24 reasonably affluent looking American people. And that mm-hmm. seems like something that's obviously going to set up a lot of red flags. But if you're just I mean, killing, just... if you're just killing like the homeless and drug addicts of Prague, nobody's going to fucking notice that. That's a much better source of blood. That's who you should be killing. Don't kill an entire tour group, you idiots. Yep. Yep. Uh, there was something else I was going to say on. Was it? A... <laughs> about the reapers the house of pain Prague, um, uh blood Prague. i feel like there's something else but i don't remember now it'll come to me so anyway uh they fight the reapers priest dies light hammer gets bitten they go down into, he gets into bitten the and hides it very very poorly under it. his weird like giant leather collar and at points like yep. pus is dripping down his chest his entirely exposed chest mm-hmm. But nobody notices. Nobody goes, hey, what's that pus there you got? Are you feeling <laughs> all right, Lighthammer? Go- Can we see your neck? Uh, uh. Oh, my God. Yeah, so th- then they, they go down into the sewers to try to find the, the Reapers. Everyone is wearing sunglasses in the sewers. Mm-hmm. Which, yep. Stefan, uh, Stefan, uh, I'm just going to tell you this once. Yeah. Forget everything you know. You don't know how vampire oh, eyes work. God. You don't know. Maybe right. I'm going to call shenanigans on that and and predict that you will probably say that again. <laughs> this is probably yeah. true. Forget right. everything you yeah. know about me saying forgetting every everything you know. Only that one more time. All right. So I mean, say maybe it really vamp- dramatically. Forget everything you know. Man. All right. Are you writing that down so that you can use it as the intro for this episode? <laughs> Yeah, do it, do it one more time. <laughs> Forget everything you know. Thank you. Uh, nice. I also would have accepted one of my dramatic daywalkers as the uh, yes. as the intro thing. Um, I mean, you know, it's going to be something about blue cigarettes. Probably give us give us the money, blue. <laughs> one of these days, they're going to give us that money. That sweet, sweet, cool drag of blue cigarettes. Uh, I actually know several people who have used them and really liked them. Uh, well, this, this was a running joke of our talk of the last time, because Stephen Dorff is the oh, villain okay. of Blade 1, and he is uh, a spokesperson for Blue Cigarettes. So there's uh, a lot of yeah. me yeah, uh, that's true. asking Blue for money because we kept talking about them. Uh, anyway, as I was going to <laughs> they say, send you money, I suspect just send you a lot of blue cigarettes. here's an idea. Maybe vampire be eyes worked the way that we thought eyes worked in like the Renaissance, where there was the idea that eyes shoot light out and it gets reflected <laughs> back in. Maybe that's how vampire eyes work. Like Cyclops' mm. eyes? Yes, like Cyclops' eyes, except not at all how Cyclops' eyes work, because he is not seeing it's with a great, those. <laughs> great, great theory, Divin. Cyclops' eyes on. don't help him to see? <laughs> He's blind! That's why he oh, can't hit anything. Irony. That's why he can't hit anything uh, by so looking at it. Whatever happened aid. to wooden stakes? Oh, I guess, sorry, it was the forget everything you know. Never mind. Yeah. Wooden stakes yeah, are irrelevant in this game. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I will say one thing that I didn't want to forget, and I can't believe I'm I'm saying this. I love Ron Perlman as a secondary antagonist. I really miss Donald Logue. Yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously, he was pretty great. Fucking Donald Logue, Terriers, man. Watch Terriers. That's my other plug. Uh, I plug two things on this show: Terriers and blue cigarettes. Smooth, smooth (laughs) blue cigarettes. Although I'm not sure if um, I'm not sure how well Logue's character and the entire sort of 
structure of vampires that was set up in the first film would have worked in this film. And I don't know if that's because of the setting or if it's just because the way that Del Toro handles his films is at odds with that type. Yeah, of no, I mean, he's a very he's a very goofy vampire in a way that doesn't work with the vampires here because all of the vampires that we see in this movie are deadly serious. They're very very there's no glee to the uh, to their vampires the way that I'm going to be a god. Uh, Donald Logue is uh, in that movie. <laughs> oh, I miss Donald Logue. Um, okay, so they get through the tunnels. They're betrayed. We get our big Scud speech. Um, getting toward the climax of the getting 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 toward the climax of the film. Um, when I first saw the giant bath of blood, I thought to myself, why is that there? And then the answer is obvious. It's so Blade can fall into it and then emerge from Obviously. it. Obviously. That was very considerate of the interior designers. As we've said many times, everything that happens in this movie, the only causality that exists in this narrative world is so it looks cool. That's why everything yeah. and anything happens. That's true. So that it looks cool or somebody can set up a cheesy one-liner. Which, in many ways, probably makes this one of the best comic book films that we've seen so far. I'm thinking uh, Next Wave right now. Oh. Like, this, this, this is <laughs> yeah, exactly the go. rationale for everything in Next Wave. Yeah, yeah no, I that's, think that's, that's but, legitimate. I think that's true. But, but do, I mean, to, to some extent, though, I mean, you have to say that when structuring this film, when building this film, that was deliberate. I mean, that was on people's minds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, so the idea hold- was... So it looks cool. Can we hold that against the movie then? No, I Aww. think I think like the action set pieces work very well. I think it's on the dialogue that I have the biggest problem with because there's a lot of times where somebody is clearly in the process of trying to deliver like a cool one-liner, but it comes off cheesy. I have the best example. Okay. When Reinhardt and Blade are having their big fight and Reinhardt has the upper hand and he says... Like my daddy said right before he killed my mom, if you want anything done right, you got to do it yourself. It's too clunky. Yeah, it's too. I don't know. Some of the background for why Reinhardt is such a horrible character, why he's just generally awful. Uh, But also there's some ambiguity there. Does does Reinhardt's father mean that he is that he kills his mother because she was doing something wrong and so now he has to do it? Or because he has tried to get someone else to kill her, and so now he has to do that. We don't know. These are the mysteries. Both are equally that, awful. These are the mysteries that the narrative leaves us with. No, I'm All just right. saying that's it's a cleverly written line because yeah, it, you know, can, it's got the can you ever really in. know the soul of another person? <laughs> Particularly a vampire with hair like that. No, you cannot know what. Particularly Ron Perlman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Does anyone he, really know Ron Perlman? While, while we're on the topic of uh, dialogue in this movie, the other major thing that I noticed uh, was at least two times in this movie, uh, somebody delivers an incredibly banal cliche in the in a way as though they're delivering a very incisive line. I know one of them you're yeah. going to say, but so. all right. Well, the first one that I remember uh, is where in ostensibly where we're talking about in the movie in uh, House of Pain, where uh, Nomak says to uh encounters blade and he says very very dramatically is the enemy of my enemy my friend or my enemy <laughs> my enemy yeah and the yeah, other the one, one uh is i guess when they're right before they're about to go into uh the sewers 
and everything, and the shit's about to hit the fan. Uh, Whistler and Blade are having a moment, and they're talking about it. And Blade very, very incisively says, "Sometimes yeah. you need to keep your enemies closer." Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, keep your friends close and your enemies, enemies closer. closer. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Yes, everybody knows that. That is the most <laughs> meaningless thing you possibly could have said right now." <laughs> yeah, it really seemed like this script could have used another month of rewrites. Yeah. Um, had to get filming though. Yeah. Snipes had bills to pay. It, the whole scene with uh, with Scud in the van outside during the rest of this House of Pain stuff oh, yeah. was really painful to watch. Like it felt it very bad. clumsy because the bus is he's like, They're on top of my bus and then they're like not on top of the bus anymore, and then he goes outside and they're approaching the bus again, and then they're on top of the bus and he's shooting them, but it's not doing anything. But he's in a van full of weapons. And he doesn't have anything that will do anything to them. And then the van is working, but he doesn't turn on the lights first thing, and he drives it into a wall, and then it's not working. And, yeah, it just it felt really clumsy. There's never a sense of what does and doesn't work, and there's never a sense of where anyone is in relation to anyone or anything else. Yeah. Yes. I also didn't really understand, like, where... I mean, Whistler, they explain where he went. He went and, f- and finds that the Reaper that's caught in the... Yeah the drain the, the nest, yeah, in yeah. the portal but uh like he doesn't take the gun with him when he's going and he doesn't kill that guy he just leaves it there for everyone to find uh and there was no explanation as to you know why he left instead of just killing them from there but yeah anyway uh but I, I think narratively would probably have been done to sort of you know set up the can you trust whistler sort of thing. yeah exactly yeah. it's part of that yeah it's the only evidence that he might yeah, yeah it's the only it's the only slightly shady things he thing he does and there's really other than scud's constant constant is that he went cold turkey a day ago we can't trust him kind of crap mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah mm-hmm. i don't know yeah uh, uh so it's... go ahead no, I was just going to say that, you know, we, we talk about kind of the action sequences and we talk about the how the dialogue does not work. And one of the things that, that I wrote down when I got through the film was it, it's very much, it's a film that consists of a series of moments, mm-hmm. which yes. are, you know, in and of themselves in isolation, either look cool or work well or are thematically cool. Yeah. But so much of what is around them and between them just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think that's a problem yeah. I've had with a lot of uh, Del Toro movies. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. I, I, I yeah, think I had the same point. problem with uh, Hellboy. I think Hellboy is another movie that uh, I think it's doing some interesting things, but it doesn't quite hold together very well. I think Hellboy 2 mm-hmm. and Pacific Rim. I really, really love Pacific Rim, and I liked Hellboy 2. But pretty much everything else that I've mm-hmm. seen of his, and to be fair, I have not seen any of his... Uh, pre-Hollywood movies. films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I can't, I can't judge those, but what I've seen, I think I've seen all or most of his, uh, American output and most of it, I think has that same kind of problem. Pan's Labyrinth definitely did. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that we are now at the like dissection of the Reaper which I thought was very yeah. cool, although I guess we went over that a little bit already. A little bit, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was just it was cool practical effects. They mm-hmm. go down into the tunnels, all that stuff happens. Yeah. They end up in the hideout, and we're kind of racing toward the climax here. But yeah, there's Nomak breaks in. Quickly. There's the sort of base under siege section of the film for about ten minutes, um, and then uh, Nosferatu 
gets killed and was apparently a statue the whole time <laughs> or something. With green blood. <laughs> With green blood, yeah. Green I wasn't blood. sure why, why he had green blood. Yeah. I wasn't sure why he turned into a statue. He's a very old pure blood. Pure bloods don't have red blood. Red blood comes from uh, humans. Forget everything you yeah. know. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe vampires are like gargoyles from the Gargoyles TV show, in that their natural form, if they're born vampires, is a statue. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. And speaking of gargoyles, I actually really want to see I Frankenstein. Oh God! I really want I to see that. I've not seen a trailer for it. Why? Because it looks ridiculous. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. I wanted to it's see Frankenstein's so army, but I haven't heard anything about that. I don't even know what uh, that is. I've never uh, heard of that. Oh, it was a. Uh, Go look up the trailer. Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, because uh, it's Aaron Eckhart seen... as modern-day Frankenstein's monster fighting an army of gargoyles with, like, weird blades. The best thing that I've seen that about sounds like Frankenstein's Frankenstein army. is someone <laughs> Maybe they changed uh, the name. Tweeted, out, tweeted out the Spanish poster for I, Frankenstein, which is literally I, Frankenstein translated. Do you know what I, Frankenstein translates into? <laughs> Yo, Frankenstein. <laughs> That's incredible. Yo, uh, no Frankenstein is All good. right, so we get through about 70 more betrayals. Um, yeah, betrayals. Like, the, yes. like there's a 10-minute sequence where there is about a, a, a betrayal every 30 seconds or so. Yeah. Seven did a very it's... good job of the, the with his sequences of also sort of going through. It was like, yes, I get it. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. playing everybody. Everybody's betrayed... Uh, no, wait, the dud's not a dud! Boom! The it's, tables it's have like, turned! It was like watching Heroes again. <laughs> yes. Also, he was our brother! <laughs> uh, yeah, I was very irritated when uh, when he blew up Scud instead of Reinhardt. Blow up Reinhardt, you idiot! I didn't assume that he had to press it twice. I had assumed that there was another button. Oh. But, that, that could uh, be, but... Regardless, I'm not clear on who made the bomb. Didn't Scud make the bomb? Yeah. Scud made the bomb and somehow and Blade works. Blade discovers doesn't work. (laughs) And Blade discovered his duplicity and made the bomb work somehow. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Yeah, Yeah, maybe it's a different button. But if it is a different button, (laughs) why not push that button and go, ha, you thought it wasn't gonna work, but it did work. I killed the vampire. Fuck you, Scud. I knew all along. Chop your head off. Only because it's cool to, yeah. to have uh, Ron Perlman still be alive. Yeah, it's cool it to have that, and if, it's kind of cool to have, like, If the... he blows him up, and then Scud is like, aha, wait, what? <laughs> 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 wait, I was a Brazilian the whole yeah. time. That wasn't supposed <laughs> to work. He, he, he probably, I, I like to imagine an alternate scene in which he does blow up Ron Perlman and Scud just stays quiet. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, re- rest of the film just keeps his mouth yeah, shut. Yeah, I can see him just survives through the end of the film. Was like, Whew, shit, that was close. Yeah, I can see him like he's like just about to peel down his lip to show his little uh, yeah. familiar sign. And he's like, oh, no, never mind. Yeah, good work, Blade. Good work. Blew him up just like we all knew it would. Good job, team. Go team us. Go team blowing up vampires with bombs that were always meant to go off. <laughs> Which we only had one of, though. We only put it in one of the vampires. Yeah. Yes. Um, if only he had put it in Lighthammer. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, Lighthammer. With uh, his weird face tattoos. Lighthammer, we hardly Large, knew ye. clumsy hammer. In, in a lot of films, I get really bored with 
fight sequences lately, and I think it's just because I've seen thousands yeah. of films in my life, yeah. and it's it's unusual that I don't know the outcome of a fight se- sequence ahead of time mm-hmm. or see something I haven't seen before. And, of course, now I have completely forgotten what it was, but I do remember I had thought that earlier in the film, and then at the climactic battle when everyone's flying, you know, blades flying through the air, there was some yeah. really cool stuff that uh, I felt like I had not seen. Yeah, there's some good stuff the, in there. But. The, 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 the three things that I remember from that final fight sequence were Nomek, like, bouncing off the wall to drop the big Macho Man Randy Savage elbow yeah. yes. on Blade. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Blade being, like, Nomek kind of being on his back or standing above him, like, grabbing mm-hmm. his neck, and Blade pushing off backwards like mm-hmm. from his feet to slide backwards under him. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and then the scene where Blade breaks Nomax's arm and Nomax snaps it back into place yeah. with, with a twist. That was That's that cool. was cool. Yeah. That looked cool. That worked well. What's the name of the actor who plays Nomax? Uh, uh Luke Goss? Yeah. I think. And he was also the uh yeah. like the evil elf prince in uh uh the Golden Army, right? The Hellboy 2? And Hellboy 2. Yeah. yeah, he was very good in that. Mm, yep. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else, but he's quite good as like Guillermo del Toro bad guy action sequence fighty guy. Yeah. Well, he uh I mean he Oh, apparently he was uh, in French, but I haven't seen him yet, I don't think. He he's got his, you know, particular skills of fighting well and looking cool in yeah. films. He also I thought in this did a very good job acting under makeup. Yeah. Yeah, I think mm. he's Yeah. Um Always a I, I he, did, he, he did well with that. Um, Kretschmann, who played Damaskinos, did that well. Um, I, I have no idea how old Thomas Kretschmann was when he did this film. I assume he was in his mid thirties. I have no idea. I'm not even sure what he looks like without the makeup. Yeah. Thomas Kretschmann was the boat captain in King Kong. It's been a long time since I've seen King Kong. I can't remember the boat captain. Uh, Kretschmann was born in '62. So okay. he would have been 40. Okay, that's well, about right. Yeah. I'll look him up later. I'll probably recognize him. Yeah. Yep. He is another character actor in this film. Shocking. That is used questionably. Hey, he gets uh, to have some good dust for all two moments. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've hit everything that I wanted to discuss. Uh, we, we have. I mean, are there... Uh, is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about sort of in discussion, or do you just kind of want to go to our final thoughts? Uh, I think we've hit pretty much all the things I wanted to say. Uh, so I'm right. fine with final thoughts. All right. Yeah. Dude, you want to start us off? Yeah. I I was anticipating that I would have less to talk about with this film because it feels like the better the movie, the most of my discussion points are little gripes and uh, things that I think are hilariously bad. Yeah. Uh, and I was not disappointed by this film. I still had a lot to say and a lot to latch on to. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I completely agree with you about the structure of it, that it uh, it feels like a very well-structured film. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, yeah, I was disappointed by the lack of cool one-liners. Uh, and the You role... wanted more one-liners? I wanted more cool <laughs> yeah. one-liners. I yeah. wanted good it was ones. Not, it was not for lack of trying. Cool. They had lots of one-liners. Just most of them yeah. were like, groan-worthy. Like, oh. That was bad. I feel like there were a lot of moments where they really could have put something in, particularly that uh, Scud van se- or bus sequence. It seemed like there could have been, he could have pulled out some random weapon that had not been introduced before that he just grabs off a shelf, throws at the vampires, but 
again, it was just a wasted setup. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't know. I I don't imagine that I will watch this movie again for fun. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, it had some the it had some really good effects in it, and I was very impressed by the the use of um, practical effects instead of digital. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Dude just covered a lot of the same things. I mean, yeah, I don't think this is a bad movie. Uh, I mean, my opening thought was I would like to like this movie more than I like it. Uh, and I think that still stands. Like, there's something about this movie. Uh, and again, I think this is kind of something that I feel about other, uh, Del Toro movies. Is that there's something about his movies that I admire, but most of the time they don't quite click with me. Uh, and I mean, I think he, I think he does really good action sequences and I think his, uh, his use of practical effects is very, very impressive. Uh, but it doesn't quite gel in a way that I want it to. Um, and I mean, I think when I saw this, uh, about a year and a year and a half ago, I was kind of in the situation where I was like, I remember watching Blade 2. I don't remember loving it, but maybe I'll like it more this time. And I watched it, and I had about the same impression that I had. It was like, it's not bad, it's not great, I wish it was doing things a bit better. Uh, and this, and and if we weren't, and if we weren't watching it for recording this podcast, I probably would not have watched Blade 2 again. Uh, I probably won't watch it again unless for some reason it comes up. Um, Wesley Snipes is fantastic in the role uh we've talked about that quite a bit there's really mm-hmm. other other than martin lawrence there's no one else who could play this role uh <laughs> so um yeah loose cigarettes smooth refreshing give us money and and terriers and terriers it's a great show yes. you should watch it you should also watch true detective yes the um so so here it is for me I talked about structure a little bit earlier, and I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. I it, it was a it's a movie that I liked, but wouldn't say is good. I may or may not watch it again. I think I'm more positive on it than you guys are. Um, but the the thing that that just bugs the shit out of me about this movie. This is the airing of grievance section of the podcast. Evidently, Jesus. Is the uh, is the tag at the end? Ah, yes. The li- the little epilogue. You thought I forgot about and, you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that what 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 I call the Her Majesty tag. Blade because... will return in Thunderball. No, 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 no. Um, because it you know you listen to Abbey Road. Ah, I see. Beatles. And they close their, the brilliant suite with the end, and it's perfect, and it's a perfect sum, summation of not just the album, but of the entire Beatles canon. And then they have 20 seconds of the Her Majesty Diddy. I like Her Majesty. Which is just so irritating. Here's what bugs me about this film. The And you, you can argue whether or not this was well executed throughout, but the very clear thematic undercurrent of the film is the line that separates Blade from the people he hunts. Where that overlap is, where it isn't, and the extent to which they can actually be in each other's world. And there is sort of that teased romance with Nyssa throughout the film, what should be a love story, but isn't because of that line. 
and the extent to which they can walk on the same side of that. The scene after the battle where he takes her out to watch the sunrise, I thought was perfect because without, you know, driving it home with, with dialogue or exposition, it illustrates perfectly what that separation is. He takes her out together. They watch the sunrise in the way that they would be together if there weren't for that line. She looks up at him very clearly ready for him to kiss her. And then she turns to Ash in his arms. And he stands up alone, mm-hmm. but being able to see the sunset or the sunrise. And it it perfectly drives home that thematic point. Also note, Whistler is there. The father figure is there. Mm-hmm. The person that he more than anything else, associates his humanity with, is there, that keeps him on that side of the line. That moment perfectly illustrates that theme and drives home that structure. And then we have the fucking joke in the nudie club, just so we can end with a sword going through a head. Fair enough. It, it irritates the shit out of me, because him standing there in the sunlight, in mm-hmm. the sunrise, that's the end of the movie. That is the perfect end of the movie. But it's... It's not the end for the character because the char- the character's battle is can he live in the world with vampires? Like, can he come to some kind of peaceful terms with them? And so the movie plays with that, and at the end, he can't. Like, he is the only one standing up. He is still a vampire killer. Like, yeah. Uh, and so he goes back to killing vampires. But I, I, like, I, I don't. Ugh, I don't think we need that. I don't yeah. think we need that tag. As as an emotional arc, yes, you're right. Uh but as a in the, the comic book world of the film, yeah, he's still got to go back to killing vampires. Yeah, <laughs> and, and maybe maybe it wouldn't bother me so much if you know he finds Whistler in the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah, like you you could have made a film where his emotional arc was tracking down Whistler, yes. mm-hmm. and that was the point of the character. That was the point of the film. Mm-hmm. But he finds him in the first five minutes. Yeah. So what's left for an emotional arc? This is all that's left for an emotional arc. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that that bugs me. All lot. right. Rightfully so. Yep. Grievance is aired. All right. Grievance I, is for aired. one, like your majesty. <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> I like it. Um, yes. So that is Blade 2. That is uh, episode seven of Cinema Excelsior. Next time. This is going to be interesting, guys. Because uh, we're going to have a, a larger panel, and we're going to talk about a film that I think might be contentious. Uh-oh. Our next episode is Spider-Man. I was really worried you were about to say Daredevil. I was really worried. I couldn't remember whether it was don't, don't, Spider-Man, don't, don't X-Men worry. 2, or Daredevil. <laughs> don't, okay, okay, so let, let's just uh, let's do a quick rundown. Next five films. Okay. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Okay. Daredevil. X2. Okay. Hulk. Ooh. I, I'm, I'm looking forward pun- to that one. And what was the and last one? The Punisher. Oh. Okay. So, just for, and and for, for reference, so that takes us through episode 12. Uh-huh. Episode 13 through episode 17 is going to be a tough stretch. Oh God, it's going to be like Elektra and X3. Yeah, we, we, well, we, we, we can Spider-Man continue. Well, we got Spider-Man 2 the, in there at some point. So it's Spider-Man 2, 
Blade Trinity, <laughs> Elektra, Fantastic Four, X-Men 3. But don't worry, guys. We are then rescued by the one-two dynamic punch of Ghost Rider and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> oh, God. I think I we should do I'm... Daredevil Director's Cut also. Because I, never seen I have not seen yeah. the Director's Cut, but I've heard that it's drastically different and makes it a much better film. Prob- maybe we can decide that after yeah. we watch the first Daredevil. Yeah. The problem is that I would want to watch Daredevil, uh, like, normally first, because mm. I haven't seen that in, like, a decade. Oh, I mean, we should do it as two separate episodes. Well, we could, possibly. Uh-huh. Or we could do them both in, in the same episode. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so Spider-Man's next. Okay. Sounds... Spider-Man okay. is next. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> Maury and Ethel Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, can we stop recording now? <laughs>